welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. Happy July 4th here at Broadway Baptist. It is our Sunday evening worship service. It is Independence Day. This is the day that our nation declared her independence from Great Britain. What a powerful worship service we had this morning. A great experience coming here, singing God Bless America, praising the Lord's name. We are blessed to live in this country. So tonight's fireworks, but in the before that occurs, before it turns dark, you want to take an opportunity to look in your Bibles here. And we are going to be, I told you last week, we are going to take a break from Exodus and look over at some different scripture about, um, about what it means to be a believer in maybe a country that does or does not worship the Lord. Basically kind of a God and country message. And the more I studied this, the more I looked into it, and the more I saw where we were at, Exodus chapter 12 is exactly what it's about. What is the Passover? The Passover instructions were for God's people so they knew their expectations of obedience to the Lord. And I went and did some background information on our nation. Our nation was founded upon religious liberty, not just from the pilgrims. We've talked about that before, how the pilgrims came over here to get away from Great Britain so they could have religious freedom. And then you can see religious freedom and the idea of uh, free, free worship, free people, all throughout our Constitution. Freedom, religious liberty, is something as we as Americans, we cherish. And that's something we, we always want to protect we never want to give up. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. These are the instructions for Passover. But before we read the, the, the instructions for Passover, I want to make the contrast from America. So let's give some background information on America. In 1776, that was what we celebrate today, 1776, it started the Revolutionary War. We told England, we told the king, we weren't going to be following his rules anymore. We are declaring ourselves our own people, our own country. 1776, the religious landscape looked greatly different here in the United States than it did today. It does today, here in 2021, many, many years later. 50, of all the folks who attended church back then, in 1776, 55% were Congregationalists. You might not see a lot of Congregationalist churches here in Lexington or in the South, but they, at one point, were very predominant up in the New England region. You go to Massachusetts, many churches are Congregationalist churches. Congregationalist church is one that is led by a congregation, it's kind of an autonomous church, part of that denomination, a congregational denomination. Very prominent, 1776. Episcopalians, Episcopalians broke away from the, that's the England church, that's the American version of the England church. Again, they were very prominent in 1776. And Presbyterians. So you look at those three denominations, most likely, most likely, if you and I lived in 1776, 
We, if we went to church, we would be a member of one of those three denominations. 55% of all adherents to denominational life fell in those age categories. You say, well, what happened? Well, come with religious freedom, religious liberty, all of a sudden, the Methodists and Baptists, they experienced great revival. In fact, Methodists were so explosive by the early 1800s, one out of three Americans were Methodists. They were on fire. In many ways, that, that Second Great Awakening, right up the road in Bourbon County, that's, that's where it started. There at the camp meetings, they just started having circuit-riding preachers going out, planting new churches, beginning new works. And the same with Baptists. John Wesley, uh, uh, George Whitfield, these, these men came along and really ushered in a new era of religious life here in America. So right after our founding of our country, when religious, religious freedom came about with the First Amendment, I, I actually brought that here for us so we can actually read it ourselves. We see a, be a sea of change that began here in America. And it shifted from what we would call our mainline of Protestants all of a sudden to more of your um, uh, revival style, Methodist and Baptist back then. Now Methodists would fall in that category of mainline, just, um, just an older, very traditional, they uh, held to a high denominational hierarchy, and they, they, in many ways, mainline churches, mainline denominations struggle with change. And that's when, in many ways for us today, here in 2021, the change in church life is digital. I mean, you look at, gosh, you look at right, right now, I'm preaching to empty pews. It's something I had never done until March of 2020. You literally have the sound team there. So that's a digital change where all of a sudden your audience isn't in front of you. Your audience is on a computer. It's on YouTube. It's online. It's a totally different change. And obviously churches... But I don't think, I don't think we're, a church is going to go all digital. But I think now digital is going to be more of an accepted option for churches. Where folks that maybe they can't make it, they're sick, they're traveling, they can worship and certainly participate online. Do you know what happened after religious liberty was recognized in the Bill of Rights? Things began to change in America. Because someone who's used to a religious hierarchy used to folks kind of giving them instructions, telling them what to do. They're not used to uh, uh, freedom, religious freedom. They want to be told, here's your liturgical, here's your scripture, here's what you do. So you come to church, you actually, if you follow the liturgical Bible, or the liturgical calendar, you actually know your scriptures for a minister, he's going to preach on all year long. So when you come to church, you can already have, be prepared to have read it as well as uh, certainly, even if you miss it, you can read up and see where you're at in the liturgical calendar. Well, that's very Episcopalian, that's very England, that's very uh, congregationalism, but that's not what Baptists are used to. They're used to being led absolutely by the Spirit of God, whatever the Lord has placed on the minister's heart, 
more of the message God has given that person, that's what you need to hear. And I certainly do believe that as well. Our Bill of Rights was passed by Congress in 1789 after the Revolutionary War. It was then ratified in 1791. The first ten amendments form what we call the Bill of Rights. And the first bill, here it is, well, our first amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. You say, Pastor, why is that in there? Why do we need to, what does it mean not to make a law respecting the establishment of religion? That comes from England. In England today, you are a member. If you're an English, you, I, I guess you could drop out of it, but back then with King Henry, you would have been a member of the Church of England. And you would have to pay your tithes to the Church of England. It's just like a tax. The church and the state were one. The church and the state were hand in glove. They worked together. They certainly had a plan. And what it says here, so there's to be no establishment, so we should not have a national religion. And we don't have that here. I don't even think we have the threat of that. No one I know, I haven't even heard of anyone trying to establish a national religion. But knowing that, it says, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now that is different. Prohibiting the free exercise thereof. How folks interpret that makes a huge difference. I interpret that, meaning we as Christians, we as Bible-believing Baptists, we should have the freedom to wherever we go, and you know, if you're not a Baptist, whatever your faith is, and speak openly and freely about your faith. It should not bother you. A few weeks ago, we were driving through um, uh, South Carolina, coming back from Hilton Head Island, and we stopped at a rest stop, and we were there this deep in the middle of South Carolina, and there was a man with a megaphone, and he was preaching the gospel at a rest stop. And one of the reasons I think he did that was because he, he wasn't being obnoxious. He had a, a small megaphone, and he was just passing out literature. Now, if that was on private property, they could probably ask him to leave. But because that was government property, that was a state, I guess owned by the state highway, uh, they, they ran it. He had the freedom to do that. And he has all, all the respect in the world. And some people were walking by. Some people were listening to him. I listened to him. The man prayed for me. Uh, just gracious man there. And he, I, I always make sure when I see folks like that to give an encouraging word. I want to let them know what they're doing isn't going unnoticed. God doesn't forget about it. But we live in a day that if we aren't careful, our freedom of religious Liberty, prohibiting that, could slowly dwindle away. That means there's going to be restrictions. That means all of a sudden we're being told what we can and we can't say. And it goes on to say there, in this First Amendment, or abridging the freedom of, of speech. Meaning, you should have the freedom to speak what you want to say. Now, Obviously, we know there's limits on that. You just can't, you can't go in a theater and, and scream fire. You don't need to come in church when there's no fire and scream fire. But 
if you feel you believe something, you have the freedom to do that. Technically, I don't support it, but here we are on 4th of July. But I guess if you went to a baseball game and you were a baseball player and you wanted to kneel and protest the American flag, you have the freedom to do that. It doesn't really reflect well in our country, and you're blessed to have that freedom to play baseball, but because of the First Amendment, you're free to do what you're going to do. Folks like me, maybe folks like you, you might not want to go see that player play or that team play that has their players protesting the very nation they're playing for, but that's the principle we see of freedom of speech. That's what it means to be free. And it goes on to say, or of the press, or of the right of the people to peacefully assemble and to the petition of government for a redress of grievances. That is our First Amendment. It started with no establishment of religion. There should not be a national religion. That's why the pilgrims came over here. Secondly, we have free exercise of our faith. You are free. That's a freedom we cherish. Every time you fail to come worship on Sunday, not only are you um, disobeying the Lord, of, of, of worshiping on the Lord's day, you're also, in many ways, kind of surrendering your religious freedom. You're saying, I, I pass, I write. You're free not to do it, but at some point, if everyone in the nation quits actually going to church, you know, I'm sure there'll be folks that will say, well, why do we need these churches? We could build houses. We could build a parking. We could build a, a parking garage. We could put a car lot. There are businesses that pay taxes could come in here instead of churches. And in many places, in many, in many cities in America, the churches that aren't evangelistic and intentional in reaching their communities, they will die. Listen, speaking about being evangelistic, we live in a free country, but this is a lost country. This is a country that needs Jesus. And any Christian that's not soul winning is a, it's a really a Christian that's backsliding in their faith. They're going backwards spiritually. Are you a soul winner? Are you aggressively telling other folks about the Lord? Do you know someone who does not know Jesus here on July 4th and you have the freedom to tell them the truth. And God wants you to. Alright. That encourages us here on this country that on this special day of our nation's founding that we live in the greatest country, I believe, in America. Or in America's greatest country in the world. We have a freedom that God has given us and yet it's one that we do not ever want to surrender. I want to read here in Exodus. Exodus chapter 12. Would you follow along here in your Bibles? This is important because this instructs us, at least the Jewish people, for their Passover. They have specific instructions, just like God has given us, as Christians, specific ways that we have freedom in Christ. The Bible says, the Lord said to Moses, now this is kind of lengthy scripture, it's 28 verses. We're going to read Exodus 12, 1 through 28. The Lord said to Moses, and Aaron, in the land of Egypt. The month is to be the beginning of the months for you. It is to be the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month they must go select an animal of the flock, 
One animal per family. If that household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. So what God's saying here is you want to take one of your premium animals. God does not want your leftovers. God doesn't want your leftover money. God doesn't want your leftover time. God doesn't want your leftover energy. You know, that's something when you come to church, you want to be alert. When you give your time to God, you want to give him your best time. When you show up to spend time in prayer, when you show up to spend time reading the scriptures, you want to give God your best. You are to keep it until the 14th day of the month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. So what happens? You kill this animal. You eat this animal. You're preparing your last night there in Egypt. And he says, because they're getting ready to leave. God's going to pass over that night. This is their last night. And you're going to take this blood of this animal that you just killed in your neighborhood. You're going to put the blood on the doorpost and over the lintel, the mantle there. Because there's going to be a Passover that will occur at midnight. They are to eat the meat that night. They should eat it, roasting it over the fire, along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roast it over fire, its head as well as its legs and inner organs. You must not leave any of it until morning, or any part left morning you must burn. Here is how you must eat it. You must be, you must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. So God's saying you better learn to eat fast. You need to have your, your sandals on your feet. You need to have your staff in your hand. And you need to be ready to go. And the reason why is because at midnight, you will leave. Middle of the night, you're going to leave. You remember growing up, maybe your dad, he was one of those guys that he wanted to leave in the middle of the night to pick up time. Well, that's how it was at the Passover. God told these folks, we're not got much time to sleep tonight. You need to get your food ready and you need to get ready to go. Here's all your instructions. The reason why they're to burn their food is because there's nothing to be left. This is not to be wasted. This isn't for the Egyptians. This is for God's people. God's people here, and they're to have this specific food. The reason why the bread is called unleavened is because it did not have time to rise. They were in such a hurry to get out of Egypt, the bread was flat. That's why when we have Lord's Supper here in two weeks at our church, you will have unleavened bread that's why unleavened bread is what jewish folks eat the leaven is considered a symbol that you had plenty of time for it to rise up well they didn't have any time leaven in the new testament is considered bad it seeps it's evil that seeps through the entire dough and it permeates it it makes it negative it makes it bitter god is saying my people eat unleavened bread to remember that it was the midnight escape. They were in bondage for 400 years, and it was 12 in the morning when I passed over. And then shortly after that, the Pharaoh was pushing out the Israelites, the Hebrews, to, a, to, another, to, the, to go worship in the wilderness. And he goes on to say, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike the firstborn, Male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals, I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood of the houses 
where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So all of a sudden, God's passing over. You've got this mantle. You've got your, your doorpost filled here with blood. So why? Why does, does, does the Lord, does he need to know? Did he literally have to do it? No, God is all-knowing. God did not literally have to go over. God can just look out in one glance and see who has done it. A Passover for the Lord, it doesn't take him 15, 20 minutes. And one easy swoop, he comes through and immediately. At that moment, you either lived or you died. He didn't have to go peek around. Because if that was happening, if it was taking a long time, people would have had time to react. It was immediate, just like the second coming. The sky will be split, we will look up, and we will see Jesus. God doesn't work in slow motion. God doesn't need a few minutes to do his job. The Passover happened in a split second. The second coming will happen in a split second as well. That's what happened here. He's going to pass through the land of Egypt that night. And he goes on to say, Verse 13, the blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate throughout your generations as a permanent statue. Not a temporary statue, a permanent statue. What are your permanent statues in your life? Think about for us as a Christian. Every Easter, we, we remember Christ's resurrection. The Passover here was their Easter. This was central in the life of Jewish people. Even today, they prepare for Passover. They have a Passover Seder meal. They remember this event. This is the event. This would be kind of like the Easter event for Christians. For Christians, it's Easter. We remember Christ coming out of the tomb. For the, Egypt, for the Jews, they were in slavery in Egypt, and God set them free. He broke them out of their bondage of slavery. They're free today. When we're free today because of Christ. They have their free today because they received their country back. That fulfills scripture that God will restore them. But even our Jewish friends, even Israelites today, they are still only saved by the blood of Jesus. They must receive Jesus, who is a Jewish Messiah, as their Savior if they want to be saved. That's why even when we know Jewish folks, we want to be diligent in witnessing to them. It goes on to say, you must eat the, verse 15, the unleavened bread for seven days. On the first day, you must remove yeast from your houses. Whoever eats what is leavened on the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. You are to hold a sacred assembly on the first day and another sacred assembly on the seventh day. No work may be done on those days except for preparing what people need to eat. You may do only that. You are to observe the festival of unleavened bread because on the very day I brought your military divisions out of the land of Egypt, you must observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent statue. Right after Passover, they have another permanent statue. That's the festival of unleavened bread. And that reminds the Jews that they were quickly 
had to escape. They quickly had to get up in the middle of the night and get out of town. You are to eat unleavened bread on the first month, from the evening of the 14th day of the month until the evening of the 21st day. Yeast must not be found in your houses for seven days. If anyone eats anything leavened, that person, whether a resident alien or native of the land, must be cut off from the community of Israel. Do not eat anything leavened. Eat unleavened bread in all your homes. Do you see the national identity? These people have a command from the Lord that will determine whether or not they are obedient to Him. And I think our principle and our reminder for us, do we have this today? Do we have this type of loyalty? A national loyalty. You know, so much of, there's a sense of community here. And today, we struggle with this indiv- ultra-individualism where folks live for themselves. And God is saying, my people are to, you know my people because they live for me. I think this is why church community, church fellowship is so important. God has brought you here. God has united you in this fellowship of this wonderful church among fellowship of other Christians here in this city, in whatever city you're in. This is why orphan Christianity does not work. Listen, if you aren't in church, if you're not in Sunday school, if you don't have a Christian sense of community, you're going to struggle. There's not going to be a place for you. Not be a place, not necessarily not you being in heaven, but you will, you'll be trying to go solo in this. God did not create us for that. Keep going here in your Bible. It goes on to say, verse 19, Yeast must not be found in your houses for seven days. If anyone eats anything leavened, that person, whether a resident alien or native of the land, must be cut off from the community of Israel. Do not eat anything leavened. Eat unleavened bread in all your homes. So you won't even have, you won't even have this stuff in your homes. Then Moses summoned all the Ezra, is, elders of Israel and said to him, Go, select an animal from the flock according to your families, and slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip in the blood that is the basin, and brush the linen and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood of the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter the houses to strike you. He sees the blood and he passes over. I want to tell you about this blood. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 tells us that our Passover is Jesus This is an example of what Jesus is. When we die, we will stand before God. So maybe maybe you know someone, or maybe yourself, you're approaching death. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You have received Jesus as your Savior. You thought about a time that you've been saved. I really want you to listen to me. What saves you is God's forgiveness. You've been forgiven. That doctrine of forgiveness is actually what saves us and makes us right to the Lord. It's nothing we do. He gives us forgiveness. He has chosen to forgive us. His son died for the forgiveness by the Jews putting the blood on their doorposts and lintel. They're showing 
we need the Lord. We're doing this in obedience. It's our, our best animal's sacrifice. Lord, we're yours. And God looks at us today when we pass away and we stand before him. He says, you receive eternal life because my son has forgiven you. We should always be teaching forgiveness. It's by the forgiveness of sins that folks are saved. Men, women, boys or girls, teenagers are saved by God's forgiveness of Jesus. He is our Passover lamb. We were guilty. We stand condemned. But it's him that frees us. That's why when you lead people to become Christian, you want to make sure they understand that they are being, they're a sinner and God needs to save them from what? Their sins. Just like this blood here, this lamb, this goat, it saved the, the, the Hebrews, the Jews, from the death angel that was going to pass over. They were saved because of the blood. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. That's what's being told here. We are not we are, the death angel does not strike us as believers. We die physically, but we do not die spiritually. Keep this command permanently as a statute for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as promised, you are to observe the ceremony. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? You are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our homes. So the people knelt low and worshipped. Then the Israelites went and did this. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. They obeyed God. They did what the Lord said. We go out and we witness in our city. Our nation needs Jesus. We can't determine how people respond. Our obligation is to spread the good news. We're to sow the seed. We're to be that church that's boldly and aggressively reaching people for Jesus. And I think that brings us to us today. Here we are, 4th of July. Are you praying for a revival in our nation? Are you praying for God instead of just griping and using you instead of complaining about all the problems? There's so many problems in our country. You could blame all day the government and look at everything. But what about, what about you? Are, you? are you asking the Lord, says, God, will you change and heal this land? There was a brokenness in the Old Testament of the prophets for the nation of Israel. And I think a lot of ways, we might not, we've lost that. We're too busy. We don't think about it. We've lost somewhat of a national identity. And Christ wants you to be that prophet, to be that faithful prayer partner, be that person who's praying for God to use you, to use our church, and to reach Lexington and the Bluegrass region. What a great region we live in. A region that needs the gospel. But it's not going to happen unless God sends and ordains a revival for our land. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to pray for our nation. This is going to be an Independence Day prayer. I want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. And we're going to pray for our land. God, I pray for the United States of America. 
It was on this day, 1776, that we declared us as a free country, breaking away from Great Britain. But Lord, in many ways, that break has gone too far because we're breaking away from you. I pray that we, as a nation, return to you. Lord, we will not stand. We will not make it without you. The Israelites, if they did not obey you, they were destroyed. God, I pray today that we use the example of the Jews and the Israelites of when they disobeyed, they were disobedience, they paid the cost. And then you raised up a prophet, you brought a revival, and change occurred. Lord, we pray that you start raising up people today. Men and women, boys and girls, who will love you. God, I pray for our country, just like Israel obeyed you through the Passover here. Lord, you set them free from bondage. We are in spiritual, sinful bondage all around us. This is a wicked city. So many, so many problems. And Lord, you can set these folks free. God, I pray for our land. I pray for renewal. I thank you for this great nation we live in. Lord, use me. Use those listening. Use those hearing these words. That they, you will raise them up to be bold soul winners. That's what we need. Evangelists who are boldly proclaiming the good news. God, I give you this prayer. We we thank you for our country. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I'm so glad here on Independence Day, 4th of July, you were able to tune in. I hope this message, you take it and it seals on your heart. I want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, any prayer needs, send us a message on our church Facebook page. Reach out through all our other social media, our email, website. We have, we're all over the place. And you can let us know if you have any prayer needs and we can definitely be praying for whatever your prayer request or pray you know someone needs to be saved we can pray them to christ god bless you i will see you next sunday